Hello and welcome to Fort for State, a show about journalism. We are coming to you from Tiresian, Sydney on Gadigal lands, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to a device across the globe via podcast. I'm Anthony Dockrell. In our second look at how the media performed during the voice referendum, we turn our attention to the ABC. Our public broadcaster did extensive and detailed coverage of the referendum, but did it, as Laura Tingle alluded to last week, err on the side of pursuing balance for balance sake. Balance is a word you hear often in regards to good journalism, but is it the right measure and is it even achievable in the first place? To help us navigate our way through this minefield, we are joined by Quentin Dempster, who is a journalist and author who, of course, has worked for many years at the ABC. Also joined by Alan Sunderland, who is an independent journalism member of the Australian Press Council. Alan also has extensive history working at the ABC and SBS, and at the ABC he held many roles, including editorial director. Quentin Dempster and Alan Sunderland, welcome to Fourth Estate. Thanks, Anthony. Hi, Anthony. Look, we're going to talk about the ABC's performance during the voice referendum and unpick that curly problem of balance. But before we do, I'd like to start with a more general look at the media. We've just lived through a bruising referendum campaign, one where many First Nations people now feel grieved by the outcome. So understandably, the media's conduct during the referendum has come into a fair degree of attention. How would you both rate the media's performance overall? Quentin, you can go first. Thanks very much. (laughs) I'll try to bring my objective assessment to it. I think overall the ABC did quite well when you consider that it was a debate that the Australian public, Australian electors were being asked to consider a question, a referendum question, and there were yes and no arguments to be canvassed in that debate. And the difficulty is, as always, finding people who are are fact-based critics and uh, prepared to give fact-based answers. There was some research data done by the Royal Commission into those people, uh, Malcolm Turnbull and Sharon Burrow, have been advocating for a Royal Commission at the News Corporation, which has (laughs) been bagged by... Uh, Kevin Rudd and Malcolm as uh, toxic in democracies, and they found that the News Corporation uh, reportage was generally balanced, yes, no. How they measured that, you could check on the website, but they found the reportage by journos at the News Corporation was uh, was generally balanced. But the the difficulty was the provo- what I call the provocateur the provocateurs in News Corporation, particularly Sky After, After Dark, with the exception of Chris Kenny who was a supporter of Yes, they they stirred the pot on all sorts of very questionable grounds. So I, I've always been concerned, as you know, Anthony, about the the distortions and of News Corporation following Rupert's messaging. And it's been a challenge to the ABC, particularly as Rupert and News Corporation always try to vilify the ABC as some leftist outfit when everybody there is striving to do good journalism. I hope that answers your question. It does. Alan, how did you view the media's performance overall? Yeah, look, I think it's I think we have to remind ourselves, and I should preface this by saying I didn't comprehensively make it a habit of watching as much coverage as I could, probably the reverse as the debate went on. So I'm not in the best position to comment forensically. But I think what we need to keep in mind is that from the moment this turned into a partisan political issue, 
we were suffering through a highly toxic, highly politicised debate. And I would I would invite all of your listeners co- to contemplate how the media can best cover the reality of a partisan toxic debate. It's very dangerous territory if the media takes it upon themselves to, to, to decide that we're going to cover a debate we're not really having rather than the one we are having. And so what comes tied up in that is all sorts of strong, passionate, sometimes inaccurate commentary and discussion. I think generally speaking, most of the media did a, did a pretty good job as a consumer consumer. Most of the time, big contentious issues came out. I found it relatively easy to access a range of perspectives on it. But I would point out, without wanting to necessarily name names and point to media outlets, some of the worst, shrillest, most extreme and most damaging voices in this debate came from inside the media tent as much as it did from outside. Look, it's interesting the most high-profile criticism of the ABC's performance it hasn't come from the no side or the political right, but from Laura Tingle. Speaking at a book launch last week, she was asked about the ABC's coverage of The Voice, and she opened a window many of us were unaware of, namely that journalists are filling in forms, adding up seconds and minutes, but also that there were interviews and stories that were cancelled because they couldn't find someone from the no side. Alan, you've written about this today in the nine papers. Was the picture that Laura painted an accurate one? Because I I reckon a lot of people listening to this would be surprised that the ABC was doing this. Yeah, I want to be careful at the outset because I know Laura herself has said that she was to some extent misunderstood and she's made a point of saying, particularly as an ABC board member, that overall she thought the coverage by the ABC was excellent and I think we need to put that on the record. But to look at some of those specific issues, I guess there are two things that frustrate me most about that. Firstly, it does not surprise me that there will be attempts at times to, to create what I call false balance, that you just, it's easy, you don't have to worry about being criticised if you give everybody exactly the same amount of time who could possibly criticise you. But as to the specifics of counting down the seconds and making them balance, and even at the extreme, refusing to let one side speak because you can't get someone from the other side, let me say quite ambiguously, as someone who is editorial director for many years at the ABC, that is against the policies of the ABC. It should never happen. In saying that, I acknowledge how challenging it is for journalists and program teams who are being asked to keep a tally, and we can talk a little bit about why that tally exists and why the share of voice is counted. It can be challenging not to let the tail wag the dog, but all those counts should ever be is an indicator to guide you as to how much time you're giving to each side. There may be, and there often are, perfectly sensible, valid reasons where one side gets more time than the other. That should not be a problem. And it depresses me to think that anybody in the ABC still thinks they have to create false balance and he said, she said journalism. Now, look, I understand those forms are there for election times. Was it appropriate to be using these forms during a referendum, Alan? I don't have a problem with that. If you understand what the forms are for, I don't have a problem with it being used in that way because the approach is to say, here's a big issue being put before the Australian public. It's a it's a dichotomy. It's yes or no at the end of the day. There will only be two things you can write on the paper other than all those other things that make your vote invalid. So it's going to be a yes or no dichotomy. It is perfectly sensible to track how much time each of those two campaigns are getting on the public broadcaster to put their case. That's a useful tool. It's a useful tool in an election. It's a useful tool in a referendum. The problem is 
what you do with that, how much importance you attach to it. And if you let that rule your journalism, you're doing it wrong. Quentin, do you agree? Uh, I do, but I can well understand the staffer's concern about the form filling and a perception of of compliance. I must comply or otherwise I'll be subject to uh, complaint. And uh, the ABC had a history since 1932 of what the staff called the preemptive buckle. And uh, sometimes there was a real concern that that was re- reflected in the board. Uh, it's the board that uh, writes the editorial policies, which wonderful people like Alan Sunderland have to administer. So there's 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 frustration and sometimes a, a perception, oh, well, I've got to jump through this this hoop. Yeah, Alan's right that a good quality journalist would say, uh, I am I'm running this element in my editorial judgment because these this is the judgment and the, the substantiation for that editorial decision. But you'd almost have to take notes because you have to deal with complaints. Some are vexatious, some are, are really there sometimes for intimidation of the journal. We'll complain about you. So you have to the, the journalists have to have be psychologically resilient and robust enough to say, I'm doing this because the other bugger wouldn't come on. And I noticed, Anthony and Alan, that Sarah Ferguson, I think on the last Wednesday before the the referendum, uh, had a big, long outside interview with Niall Pearson up at Possession Island. And she back announced that interview by saying, I want you to know, you, the audience, to know, what is the effect, that we tried to get Jacinta Nampajimpa-Price to do an extensive outside interview outside the, the the studio context, but we were we were knocked back to explain to the audience that you were, she was striving or seven thirty was striving for an alternative voice, but they wouldn't do that. And that's a tactic, Anthony, that we find as journalists when you're going to bring them to account, ask difficult questions, not just on the referendum, but politics or or any piece of investigation. When you call in a powerful person to account, come on, we want to interview you. They'll say no comment, which is their right, or, or they'll slam the phone down, or they'll say, I won't come on your lousy TV show. You're biased against me, or or vilify you in that way, and then and then, and then they'll go on Sky News or get an easier run in news corporation outlets. So it's tactical in that sense. And I noticed Jacinta Nampajimpa Price did a lot lot more stuff. I think uh, there may be some data on this with Sky News, which and its provocateurs, which were going hell for leather. As I said, with the exception of Chris Kenny on the no case. Alan, you wrote today in the nine papers that these forms are not there to be perfectly measured and balanced. That they're, they're, they're there as a guide, and 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 that fifty fifty balance, you know, is not the goal for these these forms. But but a form of self censorship is going on where teams do strive for a fifty fifty balance. Can you unpack what's going on? Yeah. Look, I. I do not want to come across as hypocritical. When I was in the chair as editorial director during elections, I was the head of the election review committee. And had the had I been there during the yes-no referendum, I would have been in charge of that as well. And I would have been the guy picking up the phone to the program teams and saying, listen, AM, or listen, 7.30 report, you're currently running 60-40 in favour of the yes campaign. Why is that? Now, it is so easy in response to that. If you want to avoid a difficult conversation with a troublemaker like me, it is much easier to look at those numbers and go, oh, for God's sake, let's grab a no vote. I don't care who it is. I want those numbers to look good. I do not want to be talking to Sunderland about why our numbers are out of whack. 
the flip side of that is, of course, there are all sorts of reasons. I used to have those conversations with programs and they would say to me, we've put in three requests for this side and they refuse to talk to us. And I would say, great, doesn't matter. Do not even up the numbers. I'm happy. I now have a line I can write in my report to explain it. Or if they say, listen, we had a huge half-hour interview with the Labor Party this week. Next week, we're having a huge half-hour interview with the coalition. That's why the numbers look out. I would say, that's fine. Thank you for checking. But it's a process people have to go through. What you don't want to hear is somebody who says, look, I've been giving 60-40 to the Yes campaign because I find the Yes campaign more convincing. This is not this is not good ABC journalism. And that's the difference. And rather than have to have difficult conversations with me where you've got to justify every second of your time, once that grid exists, simplest, easiest thing to do is to make sure they both get 50-50 and I will never criticise them for that. So I have to acknowledge there is an inbuilt pressure on people to treat balance far more importantly than it should be treated. Okay, well, let's move more into this idea of balance and, and leave the forms uh, behind. Please note that admission by the former editorial director, Anthony. Okay, I will. <laughs> oh, that's noted. But let's move into the term balance. We're not going to just worry about the time and the seconds and the minutes, but that very concept of balance. Laura Tingle also said, in the interest of trying to be balanced, we ended up not doing a good job of covering the referendum debate. Alan, how can this concept of balance lead journalists astray? Well, it's interesting, you know, over the years, the ABC has updated and improved its editorial policies. And if you go and look at the ABC's editorial policies now, and of course, I recommend everybody does that, you will find the word balance only appears in the editorial policies once. When we talk about impartiality, when we talk about independence, when we talk about including a diversity of perspectives, we don't use language like balance. Balance is mentioned only once, and it is mentioned in the following phrase, balance that follows the weight of evidence. And so what that is meant to mean is that you do not institute balance just for the sake of it. It is not an end in itself. The way to think about balance is that all things being equal, you want all the voices, all the relevant voices in a public discussion to get an appropriate, a due amount of time, considering their significance, their newsworthiness, the amount of people who believe these things. But you then have to have balance that follows the weight of evidence. So where particular arguments are informed by inaccuracies, you point that out. Where there is evidence to suggest at its most extreme, the ABC has said for certainly as, as long as I was back there, close to 20 years now, the ABC has said, when you talk about climate change, you do not have to include a sceptical voice in the name of balance, because the vast, overwhelming majority of all informed scientific evidence says climate change is real and humans are causing it. You don't have to balance that out with someone who thinks that the earth is flat. So it's about understanding that, that balance under certain circumstances, is a tool to make sure you are getting a range of perspectives. It is not an end of itself and never should be. Quentin, is balance the wrong goal? No, I agree with Alan that particularly a taxpayer-funded outfit like the ABC and, and SBS, SBS has a, a multicultural remit, which is important given there's bipartisan support for the migration system in Australia, which will take us to 40 million by 2055 of all ethnicities, a non-discriminatory immigration system. So SBS has a remit, as does the ABC in the Act, which is to meant to enhance national cohesion. 
a sense of national identity. So uh, when I was interviewed by Rowan Dean a while ago on Bloody Sky News, he said the ABC is, is left hard bias. I said, it is uh, trying to think up how I can answer that sort of vilification. I'd say, listen, the ABC is biased against racism. It's in the act. It's not we journos who determine these things in some sort of leftist perspective of the world. It's in the it's in the act that we must. Uh, journalism is guided by the best practice of journalism to the recognised standards, and that the act requires the broadcaster to add to a sense of national cohesion. So balance, as Alan has pointed out, is a data set which can assist the ABC and the board and all the journalists there, hopefully with that strong culture that should exist to high quality or striving for high quality journalism to look at our the ABC's performance, the performance of individual programs, and that journos are aware of it. And it is, as Alan says, a tool. So I've got, again, no problem. And if we had the journalists say, well, I'm balanced, according to the weight of evidence. And when you handle complaints, they say the weight of evidence was this. And you give an explanation, if called upon, a call to account on, from any complainant, that is why I did this. There's a reason I've, I've made this editorial judgment to put this at the top of the of the story or to run this grab from, from this critic higher than that one. You give a, an editorial judgment why I've done these things and, and exercise my judgment, being aware of the editorial guidelines. Editorial guidelines, by the way, Anthony, were once written by Morris Newman, a climate a noted climate change denier who was uh, a chairman of the ABC and the ABC board was stacked with people like Janet Albrechtson and Ron Brunton and, and Keith Winshuttle. So uh, they are guided by the Act too. So the editorial guidelines that the, the board promulgates have to be in accordance with the ABC Act. Look, a few weeks back, we had Kerry O'Brien on the program, and it should be noted that he was campaigning for the yes side of the ledger. I asked him how the ABC should cover the voice, and he was at pains to point out that equal time is not journalism and that the ideas and assertions needed to be tested and interrogated. I think this is something worth teasing out, the idea that journalists are there to basically to some extent, take a position where ideas and uh, assertions are actually put through their paces. Alan, was he right? Yes, but it kind of begs the question, what tools does a journalist use when he or she is dealing with contested and contestable positions? That is the real challenge. If you're not simply going to say, well, let everyone just have their say and, and God can sort it out, that's not. I agree with him. That is not good journalism. What I fear is that if you throw out the, the basic guideline that says all things being equal, both sides will get an even chance to put their case and I will pick them up on any obvious lies to the extent that I can at the time and then we have a fact check unit to follow up the next day and uh, if you didn't have time in the flow of the news. Once you get beyond that, it is a very dangerous world if the journos, if the media sets it up to say, well, we'll get to decide which voices are more worthy than others, which we prefer, which more closely align with our own worldview. All of, all that kind of problem is what the ABC spends a lot of time trying to eliminate. Get rid of your blind spots, get rid of your prejudices, treat things on their merits and present them. So there is always going to be an uneasy balance between 
giving people an opportunity to put their case, let the fella have his say, is what the head of CNN, Ed Pohl, said to me one day. Be fair to people, even if you disagree with them, and then being seen to be platforming those views. How you get that balance right goes back to making sure that there is sufficient context and reference to the weight of evidence so that you are giving people the tools they need to make up their decisions and leaving it to the audience to make up their minds on these matters. Generally speaking, as a consumer of news, I wanted to hear what both sides of the debate were saying. I personally was a supporter of yes. I made it a point to seek out the no view as much as I could to read it, to try and understand it, even if I didn't agree with it. And I think that makes ultimately for a healthy media landscape, provided the bedrock of facts, context and analysis is there underpinning it. And look, the reason why I asked that question before was the media is, in many respects, is transcribing and relaying what's being said in the public debate. So while journalists often think of themselves as interrogators, many of them are just messengers. And Paul Karp recently on the program made the point that the No campaign and also conservative politicians have gamed the system because they know that their statements will be relayed to the public, untested and unanalyzed. Is that a problem, Quentin? Oh, yeah, we live in a world of myths and disinformation and what are called controversy bombs. I can get a good line if I, you know, in, look at myself in the mirror in the morning and say, oh, I'll come up with this line. You know, the pollies do this all the time. They rehearse their lines. What about this? And so <laughs> Warren Nungai Mundine's uh, statement that uh, the, the referendum would be a declaration of war in, as part of the, the, the culture wars uh, in Australia, got the headline that, that he wanted. And uh, all of a sudden, the, the question is, well, this is a rhetorical flourish, or do we cover it? My view is, yes, of course you cover it, but then you make a judgment about where it sits in the context of all other coverage. Is, is, it, is it just a throwaway, an inventive throwaway line in, in, in a spin or clickbait sense that will get you the headline? I mean, Pauline Hanson from One Nation was an expert in her earlier stages with the, the support of a lot of spin doctors. There's been some wonderful documentaries done about Pauline, you know, getting a five to ten percent of the of the vote in Queensland and and down into into New South Wales. And she would come up with controversy bombs all the time and and stunts. Uh, all of the pollies are are capable with their spin doctors of doing uh, big stunts uh, to get them the coverage uh, that they want. I think most of the Australian public are aware. Uh, that uh, this is this is a stunt, but sometimes stuff does cut through in an era of mis and disinformation. And look, Anthony, we live in a world of shock jock radio too. I can get an audience if I if I come up with dog whistling and prejudicial material. The role of the ABC is uh, taxpayer funded is not to do that; is to point out where where the spin is and where the shock jockery tactics are. And thank heavens for a, a show like Media Watch, which keeps everybody, including the ABC, on its toes from uh, mis- and disinformation. In America, we're seeing journalists becoming more adversarial in, with their dealings when dealing with figures like Trump. Alan, is that the answer or is it a trap? It's both. 
It's both, uh, inevitably, because we live in a complicated world. I think the challenge that journalists are wrestling with now because of how quickly information can spread and because of disinformation information is how to tackle it. And we have to tackle it. There's no doubt about that. And the answer lies, in my view, in more real-time fact-checking, in more recourse to data, in more recourse to information. But, you know, I'll give you an interesting case study. I think it was an interesting case study. I think that the coverage of the origins of COVID were poisoned, I think, by how partisan they became. It became an article of faith in America of the left and the Democrats that COVID came from a live market, and it became an article of faith on the Trumpian right that it came from a lab. And because it was so politicised, in my view, a lot of journos made the mistake early on of simply dismissing the lab theory completely out of hand. Absolutely, it was a sign of a Trumpian lunatic and it was dismissed in a lot of media. And then as time went by, I still think the evidence strongly points to it coming from a market, but there are credible, reasonable people out there who are exploring the lab theory, saying we just don't know, we need more information. One of the risks in taking a strong stand against misinformation, disinformation that is partisan, is that you can actually be blinded to a more dispassionate, fact-based pursuance of 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 the information that comes out. Well, and this links back to your article where you talked about the the fact that balance is actually not a great goal for journalism, but but it's in some respects it's a myth that we need to hold on to. If we get rid of it, we could end up in a situation where being a journalist is about choosing your side. Is that your big fear? That is one of my fears. I think there's a there's a lot of discussion even within the walls of academia of journalism to say that at the end of the day, trying to be impartial and fair to both sides is a myth. It's the view from nowhere. We we just have to be transparent about what we believe and what we think. Well, you know, that way lies spin doctoring. You know, at the end of the day, the public absolutely wants someone who is going to make every attempt they can, even though we're all subjective beings, to set aside their own prejudices, their own worldview, and simply disclose the information and the facts and let people make up their own minds. And so the risk is if you get a, if you give up that attempt to to be fair to all sides and to give everyone a fair go, then you're left with something where everybody picks a side and the media becomes partisan. The American media is a long way down that track already. There are those who believe that the, that the Australian media is heading down that path. I remember when Insiders first started, you would struggle to identify the political leanings of journalists based on the masthead they worked for. Now, 10, 15, 20 years down the track, it's just assumed that a Guardian journal will be a lefty and a News Corp journal will be right wing. That's a sad day for journalism when we finish up like that. And the more we head down that path of sacrificing impartiality for making a call based on your worldview, the public is the poorer for it. Do you agree, Quentin? I do. And that's why journalists are guarding their reputations and it's very difficult for our journalistic colleagues in who, who take a buck from Rupert and how they maintain their ethical standards as journalists. I've been a, a, a member of the Media Alliance for all my career, and I'm very proud of the fact that the Media Alliance was one of the first journalistic freedom of association civil society bodies way back in the last century which established the Code of Ethics for Journalists. And it was, you know, it was contested by proprietors up all the way up to the High Court. 
and that was to to do all the things that are accepted and taken into codes of conduct by by print publishers and press councils and even the ABC, derivatives of of codes of conduct. So the the important thing for journalists maintaining their reputations is to, when, particularly in the, an era of bylines, which have existed in print and TV presenters, of course, everybody's identity is known there, is that your reputation, you have to protect your reputation and saying, I'm striving for to practice journalism to a high ethical standard. Very hard for news corporation people because it's the boss, the proprietor, can determine what goes on page one or the top of the page, or, or adjust your adjust your headline. You'd, you'd have to stick up your hand and say, "I don't want this copy changed. This is my this is my journalism. I don't want this copy changed." Now, some some journo's uh, find it very difficult. I know, having spoken to them privately within News Corporation, and they don't go very far, or their their stories are put off to the uh, back of the paper near the truss ad. So it's 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 hard for news corporation journalists to establish their own reputations uh, as uh, as responsible ethical journalists. The ABC, you help, your reputation can be established by uh, the, your, your strong uh, fact-based uh, journalism, your capacity to deliver and communicate clear, clearly and to give your source material, whether it's a radio grab or, or a, a TV grab in news reporting. The other thing, Anthony, we haven't discussed, but which is also an ongoing discussion, is the difference between fact-based reporting and analysis and and opinion. And there's a, there's a fine line between analysis. Well, maybe not so much a fine line between analysis and opinion. Analysis should be where you come to a concluded view based on the facts as you as you as you weigh them on on Alan's point of weighing the bal- weighing the, the the balance of evidence, so you come to a concluded view in analysis and in opinion, then you can go to a more subjective uh, assessment of the material uh, at hand. But I agree. I think all journalists, and I'm sure the journalism schools are still teaching this that, that journalism. Reported should be based on a gathering of all the facts. Journalism is about the public's right to know what's really going on. And you have to navigate through spin doctors, very powerful government, formidable powers, and well-resourced against your fearless efforts. You have to say, these are the facts, and I've verified these facts to the best of the sources available to me. Now, look, we have a federal election coming. What are the lessons the ABC and the media in general need to learn from this referendum? Look, I think they're the they're the lessons we've been learning every election for the last at least ten or fifteen years, and that is that um, you have got to be prepared to be as well briefed, as well researched as you possibly can in every interview you do. You've got to be more and more prepared to challenge people when they talk rubbish, because sad to say, our politicians are increasingly talking rubbish. They're increasingly learning their lesson that if you yell something loud enough and say something spectacular enough, it will cut through. And it will cut through less if the ABC and Nine and News and everybody else sees their primary role as getting to the facts and the truth of the situation calmly and dispassionately. So if you simply think journalism is a chance to give both sides an even even amount of time and turn your brains off, then you're not doing your job. We are not stenographers. 
we are journalists and the judgments we make are editorial judgments based on the weight of evidence. And that has to be a guiding principle. And so I think the more media can muscle up and be more proactive in taking this on in real terms and in real time will be the better for it. Easier said than done at a time of declining resources, declining profits and declining staff members and increasing deadlines. Quentin Dempster and Alan Sunderland, thanks for being on Four for State. Pleasure. A pleasure. And thanks for listening to the program. This edition was recorded at the studios of TRCR and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. Four for State is produced with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Thanks to the Foundation for their continuing support. Make sure you subscribe to Four for State on your favourite podcast app so you can hear us talk about media, politics and a lot in between. We'll be back with more next week, but in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter. Our handle is ForfestateAU. You can also find us on threads. I'm Anthony Dockwell. Thanks for listening.